like the idea of doing what you call kind of a mindfulness a calendar review. So you take a look at you know, the upcoming week and you really get into like, why am I in these meetings? You know, what is the purpose of the meeting? Is it is it the most important thing that I and my team can be doing during that time frame? Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Today, I have Tim Hanelt and his chief executive officer. Tim is responsible for all the facets of business and community relations for Care Advantage, Inc., which is actually one of the largest privately owned home health care companies in the Mid-Atlantic. And Tim has a proven track record in leadership and sales management stemming from 10 years in high-ranking roles with companies you've, you've heard of, Human at Home and Senior Bridge. And as the chief of operations, the Humana Wellness Division actually rose to $225 million in revenue, serving over 23 million members. That's right, 23 million. And prior to the world of home health, Tim actually has a very interesting and strong career with brands that you know, like Pepsi, Ford Motor Company, Tyco Healthcare. And while leading the national sales team, Tim found his passion for actually understanding the human experience that led him to where he is today in healthcare. And you're going to love this interview. I'm totally fired up, Tim. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Ben, for having me. Appreciate it. So let's dive into this. What was your first job and how has it influenced your leadership today? Yeah, so first job, I guess you should put the setting in which uh, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. So small town, then actually it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition later in life in which I Spent almost 20 years in New York City. So well, you're a Penn State guy too, as I as I recall, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. Penn State for undergrad and I went to grad school in New York, but always uh, you know, go Lions. We are for anybody out there who's uh, a Penn Stater. So, but my first job, actually, I I was quite young. Parents put me to work early. <laughs> and I uh, good for them. That's right. So, and you're going to, you know, this uh, leads well into what I, I learned, you know, in regards to leadership. And um, it was, I picked peaches at a Mennonite farm. It was the Hall Bakers. Uh, I was really good friends with a guy named Andy Hall Baker. And uh, we played chess together. And this was like, I think, right when I got into middle school. And, uh, but, but anyway, I really enjoyed this guy. I used to trade baseball cards, you know, play chess. And I was like, I need a summer job. And he was like, well, my, you know, we have a farm. Come on out. And I was like, great. So went out, picked peaches. And let me tell you, I learned a lot about, I think, life and leadership in general, <laughs> picking peaches with the Hallbaker boys, because you don't get paid much for each uh, bushel, right? So there's a lot, a lot of hustle. There's a lot of, um, you know, it's a friendly competition. So I, I in work ethic, I'd probably you know, pair those two things together as things that I, I learned when I was there on the Hallbaker farm. And because uh, there was, a, they had, you know, they had the clipboard right there on the tractor. You know, you'd, you'd pick your peaches, you'd run really fast, run really hard, you know, and you'd be uh, competing against, uh, I think there was like seven of them, seven brothers or something like that. Oh, wow. And, uh, so <laughs> Survival the fittest. And they're living on the farm. It's their farm. So they're pros at it. So you're, so you're learning from them, right? Yeah, that was their backyard, a really backyard, you know, you yeah. know, 
a couple hundred acres, but, uh, and also, uh, picking peaches in the heat with the, the peach fuzz. I didn't even know what peach fuzz was until I experienced it. And then it gets itchy and everything. But anyway, I learned a lot about perseverance, kind of a strong work ethic. And I think that was embedded in me earlier on and, you know, kind of seen there, uh, you know, in that experience, but also friendly competition. We really got at it. Yeah, no, that those are great things, I think, to pick up in your early early job. And I ask that question a lot on the CEO sessions. And that is a common theme. They're like, yeah, a lot of things I understood early on about working and the hard work came from, you know, these jobs when you don't have, like, you can't sit back and just rest on having great work experience and mental acumen about the wisdom you've experienced from work, right? You've got enthusiasm, you've got your ability to put energy into something. So yeah, yeah. it's work ethic time. That's right. I mean, it's uh, not something I ever put on a resume, right? It was just all kind of like a, a point that was embedded in all the other points that ended up on mm -hmm. the resume. Now you yeah. mentioned chess. Are you still a chess player today? I do. And I, I unfortunately don't get to play nearly as much as I'd used to. And used to was like, you know, just uh, decades ago, but I still enjoy it. You know, I play a little bit online from time to time. And then uh, when I'm lucky enough to have uh, someone visiting who also plays chess, because it feels like a lost art, a lost game, uh, you know, we, we sit down for an hour or two. Did you ever go down when you were in New York City down to the areas and, and play the guys that sit in the different like Washington Square Park or and you, whatnot? You, Union Square, Union Washington. Square Park. Sorry, Union yeah, Square Park. Yeah. So those guys, they're great and they're hustlers. Like I did, I did not, I did not sign up for you that. Didn't sign up for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So more uh, friend. You're not like trying to play Bobby Fischer or something along those lines. The, uh, <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. Did you see the uh, Netflix guys, uh, series? Uh, um, yeah. The yeah, Queen's Gambit. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was terrifically well done and. A lot of, you know, real actual skill and strategy that was involved in it, you know, beyond just kind of the, the theater of the series. So playing chess at a young age, do you believe that that somehow informed your, your strategic thinking now that you're an executive? I would have to say, yeah, I never really thought about that much. Just something that I really enjoyed, but you are as well as you can thinking multiple steps ahead, right? And you're kind of seeing the board and, you know, kind of in a direction in which, uh, you know, I move these three or four different ways. What is kind of the the reaction that's going to happen to that? And then am I prepared, you know, to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, pivot or change my strategy or thinking based on that? And also people have very, you learn the person's approach across from you, right? It's usually, you know, the simplicated bifurcated between, you know, offensive style or a kind of laid back, more defensive style. And also, I mean, chess is a long game too, right? It's, you know, very, very... Not very often you, you know, you end the game, you know, and, uh, you know, three or four moves, something went terribly wrong, <laughs> essentially for the, the opponent or yourself, it ends that fast. So yeah, it's usually what, uh, on average, a little over 40 moves, you know, and, uh, and so it's. I didn't realize uh, that 40 moves, huh? So it requires a lot of extended focus. It does. It does. Yeah. You can break chess into multiple different types of, of uh, series within the game and, and so forth. You know, your first 10 moves what happens during the middle and then kind of the end game. If anybody has never played chess before and they're like, I need to pick this up because Tim's motiv motivated me to check it out. Any, any starting points for them? Yeah. So again, there's, there's great stuff online, chess.com and things of that nature. But I mean, some simple things is in your first 10 moves, don't move the same piece twice. That's, that's inefficient. You know, in first 10 moves, try to, you know, castle as early as possible is a good protective move and control the center of the board as quickly as possible. Now, this sounds a lot like strategies for a CEO to use too at work. 
It, it, it could be. It could be certainly. With your competition or with your employees, don't just do the same things over and over again. Right. It's inefficient. You got to find, well, maybe it is, it does build some efficiency, but you got to keep it interesting and novel and try new things. That's we right. Keep using this. We, we could keep going down this route, but I've got more questions to ask you, but, but, but I really love this idea of using play and game to help develop your own skills. And I love the idea that you picked it up as a kid. I'm teaching my, my kid chess right now. She's 10. She's already better than me at it, but it's just a great way to sort of hone your skills thinking strategically. It sounds like what's thinking back over your career and you, and you could, you could go from the peach orchard if you want, <laughs> or something more modern, but what advice would you give yourself, your younger self today? So you run into 10 today on the street, looking for career advice. Uh, what's the bit of advice that you'd give them? Slow down and just realize what's happening in the moment. I think it's typically for, you know, strivers and folks, you know, especially earlier in their career is kind of anxious about moving forward as quickly as possible, advanced career. Want to work the career ladder as quickly as possible. Yeah. And so it's like your times uh, and my younger self for sure probably was looking at, you know, spending more time looking at the the rung, uh, you know, ahead of me instead of like, Mm -hmm. you know, really appreciating what was there right there in front of me. So, you know, appreciate, you know, the daily learnings, opportunities, support and help others around me. So, you know, continue to kind of rewire your brain where it's not just all about you. <laughs> you know, it's about, you know, the, the folks around you, how you're kind of like supporting, lifting other people up, even when you're not in a leadership position. Right. So I, I found later, later on that I think that's, that's more fulfilling that provides more, more purpose, right. Uh, for me that kind of gets my engine going each day instead of just, you know, how do I capitalize on something that really benefits me in the situation? Yeah. I love that idea. And it, it reminds me of the whole servant leader model too where yes, you're at the top of the org structure. Everybody knows that, but you don't have to necessarily operate that way. <laughs> you can operate as, Hey, I'm here to support and serve. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it starts and ends with that. And, uh, the title doesn't matter. You know, it's, uh, you know, working alongside of the, you know, the folks that get the work done. What's the one trait that you wish you could instill in every employee and why? Yeah, we've actually spent a lot of time on this, uh, with a number of different books and, uh, just kind of uh, learning and development internally, the word grit, you know, and so, grit. yeah, yeah so, you know, whether it's the Angela Duckworth book or others, you know, it's that blend of passion and perseverance, right? It's, and for the longest time, I, you know, I was looking for, you know, that one attribute, whether, you know, it's like, you know, kind of a part of like questions that you're looking for within like people that you're hiring and things of that nature, or essentially, you know, folks that are advancing within the organization and why, but you know, that, that, you know, when you blend passion and perseverance, you get that sustainable energy over long periods of time. I mean, Almost anyone can run, kind of like, kind of get up for something for a short period of time. But if you got grit, it lasts a lot longer, and it you know creates those really predictable results. And like you know, that's the the passion that fuels that that perseverance over a long period of time. So it's about long term results and effort, and then that combines other traits too. You know, grit can be kind of on you know like resourcefulness, drive, coachability, things of that nature. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad you brought in old Angela Duckworth to this thing because she's been at this grit deal for a while. And I love that her, her research project that I believe she did on the cadets at West Point. That's right. right? In, in Beast Barracks and trying to figure out the ones that were able to stick it out and uh, persevere versus the ones that didn't. And yet she came up with these different characteristics that you mentioned uh, with resilience and passion. I'm trying I'm trying to remember the, the equation off the top of my head. I just loved it and simplified it. It's like, Talent times effort equals skill. Skill times effort equals achievement. And uh, what she really positions well in the book is that talent's only in there once. Effort's in there twice. 
So you have a kind of a two to one relationship yeah. there. And that's, oh, you know, yeah. that's, that probably gets you a long way. Yeah. So you walk into the office tomorrow and suddenly the office is grittier. How does it show up? Like, how does it manifest itself at the office? Like, how would you know it? It manifests in which, you know, I think there's like a certain energy that, that comes with it. And I, I see grit as like a, a positive thing. It doesn't mean like something where, you know, people are sharpening their elbows or whatever. I mean, I think you have an incredibly, you know, collaborative culture, but but one that is kind of like can-do attitude, kind of like, you know, the grit is more about, you know, we're, we're together on something instead of individual efforts. So I think it creates a buzz. And I think it also creates something that it's like, it's a, you, you can trust that the other individual is going to show up. I had a previous leader who would, who would say, Hey, when you show up, show up. Right. And, uh, you know, kind of like the play on, on the scenario there, but I, I think the same way around, you know, you show up if you're going to be there for each other and that those are, you know, the components of, of grit. Yeah. So show up and show up consistently or would you show up and not be the quote empty suit, like really be present and engaged or. That's right. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of it has to do around presence. Right. And it's not necessarily even someone who just kind of like owns the stage or something like that, but it's uh, contributing, you know, constantly contributing, having presence, uh, you know, owning a perspective and expertise. Uh, those things are really important. When is the time when grit helped you through a challenging situation? I think, you know, anything worth pursuing is, you know, hard work. So if I look back through any of my, you know, my previous experiences, whether it's projects or initiatives, um, or just, you know, my, my, my tenure at certain, you know, companies in certain roles, grit gets you up every morning, right? So, you know, that purpose, that fire, that, that drive. And so it's, uh, I would even say like, I wouldn't even necessarily connect it to like one, you know, kind of like, you know, seismic shift in my career or whatever, anything like that. It's just, it's consistency. It gets you up every day. It's like continuing to get up to bat, even on the tough days, even when you're not feeling like being there and showing up. And I think it's also, when I think about it, Gret, is it gives you that emotional stability too, to show up consistently. So it's one to show up physically, but one to be able to show up emotionally where you're able to keep going. And I think it's so difficult for employees to respond to a leader who does have so many emotional ups and downs all the time. They don't really know what to expect when they walk in the office, but I think it's great when they can see a leader, even in a crisis situation, even in a global pandemic, which we still find ourselves in today, uh, hopefully on the other side of it, but who knows, and just to have that kind of consistency. So I can really see that undergirding great leadership. So we often work with leaders around the, the, the catastrophic cost of turnover, which according to our research can add up to over $235,000 per employee per year when you include all the different, uh, different factors. Do you believe this is a cost that uh, organizations should be tracking? 100%. I don't think it's hyperbole. I think it's well-placed that you put the word catastrophic in front of, you know, describing, uh, you know, the cost of turnover. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about costs include like, you know, the hiring process, right? So what happens for, you know, the the opportunity cost of the, the hiring manager, our team, spent compensation that really wasn't invested that well. You didn't get great ROI on that. Invested developmental dollars in that individual from orientation to leadership 401, those types of things, mistakes and wasted business opportunities. Those are things that, you know, your, your percentage, you could probably put 4X or 5X on it, especially in certain types of roles. And then cultural disruption, because poor performance invariably falls on someone else's shoulders and they're typically your, your top performers. And then that creates another layer of burnout. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. 
Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Oh man, yeah, it really does snowball. And you being in the home care field, I mean, your business is is the people, right? Or I mean, am, am I right on that? That's the main. Uh, yeah, spot on. The thing. You know, sometimes here we we talk about you know we're like people helping people who are helping people, right? So you're talking about just kind of like the different levels of of care and support that we're providing throughout the organization. And of course, you know, our caregivers who are out in the field are actually in someone's home or, you know, in a nursing home or a kind of an assisted living facility who are providing that one-on-one care with a, a member or a patient. Yeah. And so what makes working at Care Advantage so special? Yeah. I mean, it's, we were talking earlier about, you know, the, the, the culture of the mm-hmm. place. So it's important. So, you know, grit's probably part of it wound into it. You know, we have four values, compassion, attitude, respect, and excellence. So, mm-hmm. so happens to spell out care, right? C-A-R-E. Was not, well not, placed. Not, yeah. Well, well done placed. there. Right. right. We have great marketing communication team here. So we're a sizable organization for, for a healthcare company throughout the mid-Atlantic, but also you know, I believe we really do adhere back to our roots of being, you know, what was, you know, originally family owned, but kind of really, you know, carrying kind of the torch of those values forward. So we still have kind of a, 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 a local feel to us. And I would actually almost kind of designate, designate as professional family, right? So it's family, you're there you're for, for each other, you know, support each other, each other's back, but also, you know, family can have, you know, good, healthy tensions, right? You know, you know, brothers and sisters who are, you know, ensuring that especially working on something together, kind of a family project, you can, you know, speak openly and honestly and intellectually being honest with each other. And, and again, that professional part is like, you know, we enjoy what we do together, but we also go about it in a way that's, you know, efficient, you know, how do we get the most out of each hour and every day? Yeah. And so how many employees are you guys uh, at right now? Total? So on an annual basis, we're, we're well over 8,000 employees. And I'm talking about field employees and office and corporate combined. Yeah. So that is, all, that is definitely on the larger scale, right? For your industry. And so there are much larger national companies. Yeah. Uh, but for regional, it's, it's big. But for regional, yeah. it's, it, yeah. it is, is a pretty good size. So as a leader, you know, people are listening to this and they have big teams working big companies a lot of times. I mean, what do you do as a leader? Because it's hard to know all 8,000 employees. What's your approach on creating that professional family environment? Which, which by the way, I liked that. Like, okay, because we're acknowledging we're really not blood related here. We're not that kind of family, but there are mm-hmm. certain elements um, as a professional family that we want to take from this from the family atmosphere and also incorporate this professional side. But what's the key to fostering that when you've got 8,000 employees out there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's how every individual throughout the organization treats, interacts uh, with each other, right? So what did all of my interactions and my activity and how did people experience me for January the 18th for the, you know, the first like 78 hours of the day, right? And then, you know, those interactions essentially then essentially cascade down the way that other folks treat, you know, people throughout the, throughout the entire organization, all the way down to what I should say up to what matters the most 
our caregivers and our clinicians out in the field. So, you know, and with that too, it's a, you know, clear and concise communication that is simple, straightforward, because, you know, obviously the larger you get, you know, and for us, we want to scale quality, right? So in a way that it's like each caregiver that goes out to spend time with, you know, one of our patients, one of our clients, would that interaction be what we want for our own mother or father? So that's, so that's kind of a grounding question that you use to gauge if it's something, hey, is this behavior aligned or not? Is this how we would treat our own family members? That's right. That's right. And so we create sympathy, create sympathy for sure. And then, you know, the compassion that goes with it. And then, you know, back to one of the probably our, our more prominent values we talk a lot about is that can do attitude. So, you know, it's just like a positive attitude that, you know, being proactive about things that you see in front of you. So obviously when that, when that happens, there's a a certain level of, of trust that is, you know, embedded into, you know, what is pretty straightforward decision-making. So when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah, I had a had a senior leader, my my direct manager, really kind of like exited in kind of an unexpected way. I'll put it that way. So the uh, the, and the two leaders, uh, the one that was uh, the one that transitioned out, and the one that, the new one that came in, two very different people with uh, different kind of uh, agendas on what they wanted to accomplish with the the business unit that I was part of. So taught me to get comfortable with ambiguity. And also that there was mental, you know, multiple paths a team can execute to get the most out of any situation. So, and again, both had different paths and thinking on, you know, what that business unit was going to do, value was going to create for the organization. And both were right. <laughs> and both were like, you know, good, worthy pursuits. But anyway, you know, when things happen quickly, you have to, you have to kind of, you know, be able to adapt to what's in front of you. Oh man, I remember my first time of that happening. I was working as, as a manager. And I thought like the plan that we had was so ironclad. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then the senior leader left and I, in my naivete, I just assumed everything was pretty much like that leader is going to come in and we're pretty much going to do the same thing that we're doing before. But no, it was a lots of change. And I remember feeling resentful and even like, Hey, it's not supposed to happen this way. But what I didn't understand at the time is, you know, when you have a new leader come in, they can declare a new vision and like you said, it may be not wrong, it's just different. And to be able to adapt in those moments, and you've worked for some pretty big companies. I mean, Pepsi, Tyco, you know, you know these companies, there's, there's lots of changing going on all the time. And so a lot of times a, a success characteristic there is to be able to shift and, you know, and, and adapt. In that situation, if you were managing a team, how did you communicate that to the team when the change was happening? Because you know, they're being a part of it, but they're probably looking at you and they're saying, Hey, Tim, you told me this yesterday and now you're telling me this, what's going on? I mean, certainly there was, you know, conversations that would happen there in the moment that like, uh, essentially the level set on what's happening and then just kind of reframing, you know, our position on, on what success looks like moving forward. But I'd say all of the, you know, having, you know, real honest conversations on a consistent basis, such you up the way for like whenever, you know, maybe is perceived as kind of like a uh, big conversation. And, and, and so for me, I felt that at that time I had, you know, real trust capital build up with my, my team and that, and also, you know, I'm being honest and, you know, and, and open with the way that I'm, I'm viewing it. Nothing that would take away from the success of what we're going to do as a team, you know, towards that, new, you know, new set of initiatives and strategy and everything like that. But it's being real, it's being honest. And it's like, things change. <laughs> Actually, things change all the time, right? So it's uh, not being shocked or surprised, but, you know, working through it. 
a lot of good guidance in there, not just for employees who are dealing with change in the organization, but also leaders who are trying to help their team do it. It's just not enough as a leader to deal with change yourself. You got to help other people or else it's going to really make the, make the environment tough to be in. And I like the fact that you said, Hey, the first thing is have consistent conversation, open conversations. And so you're, you know, you're building that trust along and along and letting them know that, Hey, change is part of the game. That's what it takes to survive and thrive in organizations in general and recalibrating their expectations. Uh, building upon that, uh, what are a couple of other key success strategies that you think every leader and or employee needs to be keeping in mind for their career? I would take a step back and first, you know, ask them to wrestle with the idea of what success means, right? You know, not with someone else, you know, or a family member or a neighbor or the media or, you know, it was, there's tons of, you know, projection, you know, in our daily life on what success looks like, right? So, and also I believe Gordon that- Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> right. People that is, uh, question the success. Yes. There's that, that, that type of success, which by the way, build, building value for an organization is a terrific thing. You know, obviously as it's done well and done with integrity, but. Um, <laughs> right. Not like that though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there are many other ways to do it. Look at a little bit of uh, what is that? Greed is good, right? Wasn't it yeah. his famous quote? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But actually maybe something to take away from the movie was he was always questioning things, you know, and I, mm -hmm. Take so much. Yeah. So Charlie much. Sheen character, he was questioning it. Yeah, that's and his right. big block cell phone on the beach. Have you ever seen those oh. memes of the? It's it's. A uh, yeah, that's those phones. That was uh, that was <laughs> the epitome of success. Walking on the beach with a giant brick strapped to your head with an antenna. Yeah, yeah, and you know now we're all walking around with supercomputers in our pockets. But but so but anyway, back to your question, right? It's like you know. I also think that, you know, success, you know, shifts over, over time, you know, as people have multiple chapters in their life and, you know, in their story and so forth. And it's like being good and okay with that. But, you know, I think of like three success strategies, think about like three things about how you kind of like frame out opportunities as they come to you. And I think of uh, affinity, ability, and opportunity. So those like those three things, if you kind of like, you know, put those things together, they can really help, you know, sync up to what the, the opportunity looks like in front of you and why you should get really excited about it. So affinity is there kind of like this natural kind of like gravitation towards, you know, what is presenting itself. And it's and, you know, typically if it's a good fit, it's not forced, right? So it just feels right, right? And so ability, so that's where you gotta be, you know, really, you know, really honest with yourself. Uh, you know, do you have the experience and the, the core competencies and just the, you know, what, what's needed to do that, that opportunity or that, that job well? And then the other thing is just the, the opportunity that presents itself. So probably that one's more about timing and uh, being smart as, you know, those that timing opens itself up. Also, too, I would say I wouldn't just call this as like, you know, shifting from one, you know, company or career or entrepreneurial venture to another. I mean, those are how do you uh, spend your time and energy and your overall bandwidth in your current role, right? So those three things certainly uh, I think are, are helpful to kind of size up opportunities you know you're currently working within so what are some books podcasts or music that you'd recommend for someone that's interested in the c-suite or already there so whatever discipline or industry you're in make sure that you're really well tapped into that and staying ahead of that the innovation and the things that are happening you know within your own craft and with your own industry but things that are kind of a little bit more probably agnostic to industry i mean 
You can't go wrong with TED Talks, right? You, you know, uh, Harvard Business Review. There's a podcast I like. It's called Think Fast, Talk Smart. It's by uh, Matt Abrams, uh, Stanford Graduate School of Business. And it's about clarity and communicating uh, thoughts and vision and things of that nature. So I think that's really sharp. Books, The Road to Character by David Brooks. Grit, Angela Duckworth. We said that earlier, right? The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Team of Rivals, Doris Goodwin. And then Uncommon Ground by Tim Keller. Some great book recommendations there. So I'm assuming you're an avid book reader or is it something? <laughs> yeah. I like reading, do, you, yeah. do you read books? Do you, do you read them on a Kindle device or do you read hardcover or hardback or use Blinkist or audiobooks or what is it? I still read the hardcover books. Like I still, I still enjoy turning the page, highlighted marker on the page. Okay. And uh, maybe when it comes to kind of like, you know, that type of learning and capture and everything like mm -hmm. that, that's, that's how I'm able to absorb and retain that information. Do you go back and review your notes afterwards or capture them in, in a different way? I, I, I do, especially while I'm reading the book, right? So like I'll read it, but as I'm going through the chapters, I'll call I'll double back to understand, you know, to ensure that I really kind of captured like, you know, the key mm -hmm. things. I'm usually writing notes on how it's, you know, applicable to whatever else is going on for me either from, you know, a career perspective or from a personal perspective and things of that nature. It's kind of like a mini workshop, if you will. Because one thing to read, but it's another to process. Have the process to process the information is where you can actually uh, put it into use. What time of day, uh, just curious, do you find yourself reading the most? On the weekends, pretty tight during the, the work day, if you will. Weekends and Early morning is probably uh, the, the best time for me. So I can kind of get up before everybody else and you know, have that cup of coffee and, you know, get through a couple chapters. Yeah. I love that. That's the hardest part for me is finding the best time to read. Cause it seems like I have more time in the evenings, but that's also not what I'm in my most alert state and I'm not retain. I don't retain it as well then. To that end, I don't drive as much as I had, you know, in the past, you know, for reasons, but it's um, obviously, you know, audio books and everything like that. Like, so those, those podcasts I talked about earlier, obviously I'm consuming that early morning, late evening as I'm making my commute. What's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go check out for themselves? Yeah. I mean, I mean, for whatever you're trying to do, there's an app for that, right? So there's, <laughs> there's uh, you know, a multitude. Just an efficiency thing. So, uh, well, I, I mean, I'm thinking about my just like whether it's how my house is wired through Nest and things of that nature to, you know, to ring and do all these other things like, you know, just kind of make, a, you know, personal tasks and everything, you know, just that much more manageable, which, you know, gives me more bandwidth in my, my brain for like, you know, tackling what I need to at work. Actually, I'll, I'll take you to one that I'm thinking about like a tour gadget that is like omnipresent, but not sure how well people use it is the ordinary Outlook calendar and how, how folks use it and whether it's, you know, through Google or whatever, but, you know, iCalendar and things of that nature. But I like the idea of doing what you call kind of a, a mindfulness a calendar review. So you take, take a look at, you know, the upcoming week and you really get into like, you know, why am I in these meetings? You know, what is the purpose of the meeting? Is it, is it the most important thing that I and my team can be doing during that time frame? And really just kind of like challenging yourself. I have a tendency to really catalog my time, even if it was some, something that wasn't pre-planned, but it was like, how did I spend my time this week? So how often do you do those reviews and when do you do them? Yeah, I'd like to do them a little, I'd love to say I do them a little bit more consistently than, than I do, but I mean, at least, at least monthly, but you know, when it really comes up, it's like whenever I feel that I'm kind of like really strained and stretched on time or myself or my team, that is an immediate kind of trigger to say, all right, take a step back and see, you know, what this uh, kind of 
time and energy and allocation looks like. Beautiful. And I love that being a representation because yeah, are you double booked on your calendar? Are you triple booked? Are you <laughs> booked back to back where you have no time in between anything to uh, <laughs> like you wouldn't a book, go back and read the chapter, or go back and review your notes from the meeting uh, and make them, make them actionable. And I love the idea of a mindfulness calendar review. When you, if you were to look at your calendar for this week, uh, what are the different what are sort of the mental checks that you would look for to know if you were in the mindfulness zone when it came to your calendar review? Again, would it match up what I would say would be like top three or five priorities of the business right now? And, you know, are they, you know, optimal value creation points for, you know, my, my team, you know, the, you know, the caregivers and, you know, our clients, our patients, you know, is it creating something directly positive for them? Uh, is it, or is it something that starts to kind of like, you know, move out from the kind of that core target, that core purpose. And is it getting a little bit broader? Yeah. I would take a look at my calendar and, you know, we had MLK day on, on Monday. So, so, you know, it gets a little bit tighter on what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. Do you, how do you weave in your own, your own personal stuff that you need to get done when you, whatever you do your mindfulness review? Yeah. I mean, I would calendar that also, right? So when you know physical fitness, you know emotional and mental wellness breaks type things, uh, things of that nature. We have a uh, on a weekly basis we do a uh, kind of a mind, we'll call it like a mindfulness moment. So it's a uh, it's in it's only fifteen minutes and everyone in the company is invited to it. And so that's whether it's chair yoga to kind of like meditation or things of that nature. But it's and it's you know it's a. Uh, it's meant to be a real direct attempt to say, Hey, these things matter. And I know we're all tackling a lot of work together, but like, you know, you got to breathe. Who, who leads it? Folks in our marketing and communication team, you met, okay. Bree, uh, but also we have a really, you know, uh, fortunate to have a number of uh, what I'd say kind of like, you know, just wellness experts within the company. So whether it's, uh, you know, on kind of the physical therapy side, folks with it, those types of like, you know, background qualities to, uh, you know, clinicians and nurses who have a real, you know, kind of a mindfulness practice. Yeah. What a great way to tap into the talent inside your organization and also boost employee retention, because if they're feeling something, you know, a part of contributing to their peers and the peers feel taken care of by their professional family. I mean, it sounds like a real recipe for keeping the team together for the long haul. Man, great. Well, as we wrap up here, Tim, what's something we didn't get to that you wanted to mention or a parting thought for the listeners? Yeah, I, I, that was fun. I think we covered a lot of ground there. No real kind of like, you know, uh, last, you know, sum summary here or anything like that, other than just, Hey, really appreciate the time to, you know, get some time with you and the, the listeners here and, you know, just, uh, you know, wishing everyone best of luck here uh, in the start of the year. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right. Thank you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.